Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Hi, hello, how are you? It's Daryl, and welcome to episode 32 of Cage Rage, a Nicolas Cage podcast. How are you? How are you been? I hope you've all been well. We settle into December now. We're getting little tricklings of snow, and that's nice. Ian's put the Christmas decorations up. He's feeling festive. But don't worry, I know we've missed out on some updates recently. We'll get a bit more discussion of him in this week's episode. Speaking of which, on this week's episode... It's a bloody good one, let me tell you that, for free. All right. I was joined by comedian Patrick Spicer, who has previously been the Chortle Newcomer of the Year and a nominee for the Leicester Mercury Comedian of the Year. You may have seen on BBC Two, BBC Three and the BBC iPlayer. He very kindly uh, donated some of his time to watch this week's film, 1999's Cage Scorsese team-up, Bringing Out the dead uh, had a lot of fun in this one as you might be able to tell during the recording in this one we discussed everything from uh, cage to bob ross to primark to uh, patrick's eventual plans to usurp me and dethrone me as the bad boy of the nicholas cage podcast game um yeah really great fun this episode i think that you're going to enjoy it i hope you do Please let me know what you think of this episode as well. Get in contact at the usual social media at cage underscore podcast on Twitter at cage rage pod on Instagram. We can see all my uh, shit posts for the thumbnails for the episodes. Uh, the link trees up there as well. And you can listen to this on uh, Spotify, Amazon Music, Stitcher, Podchaser, Google Podcasts as well. Please do go and check those out. Get in touch. Let me know what you think um, and what you think about the film as well. Always excited to hear from you guys as we continue the journey to true Cage Nirvana by watching all of his films, The Good, The Bad and The Cage, of course. Um, so thank you again. Let's get into it. It's episode 32. It's Patrick Spicer. It's bringing out the dead. Cheers. It's the end of the 90s, and what a better way to see it out than with a Nicolas Cage film, obviously. In the 1999 supernatural drama Bringing Out the Dead, we follow Cage as the burnt-out graveyard shift working paramedic Frank Pierce. Across three turbulent nights, he's haunted by the patients he couldn't save and fighting to keep a grip on his sanity. Taking the late shift with me on the journey to True Cage of Honor this week to make sense of the nighttime madness is actor and comedian Patrick Spicer. Patrick, thank you so much for joining me. How are you? Hey, Daryl. Thanks for having me. Lovely to be here. Um, I'm very well, thanks. Uh, I just got home cycling in the pouring rain mm -hmm. for less than five degrees. So I'm chirpy. I'm up for it. I'm ready to riff. I'm here to have fun. I feel a lot like uh, Frank Pierce at the end of a grueling night shift. Uh, the hours between six and seven that famously are always the worst, <laughs> which I now know. 
Absolutely. I mean, I I sort of went into this film um, not knowing much about it, but then it um, harkened me back to a few years ago when, for some reason, I decided to take it upon myself to work a night shift at Primark, of all places, mm-hmm. uh, 10 in the p.m. till 7.30 in the a.m., Monday to Friday. And um, oh, I felt as awful as he does in this film. I saw some ghosts. Yeah, yeah. Was it a similar experience? Did you lose anyone? Um, too many good people. Too many mm. good people were lost. I mean, you haven't known fear until you've seen the Primark uh, new stock come at uh, 11 o'clock at night. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I'd heard that. That's a well-known fact. It's equivalent to trying to intubate um, on the street and continually going into the stomach. Um, that's the same feeling as when you're trying to scan a stock and it won't go into the system. It's the same. Like John Goodman runs in and he's like, let me do it. And you're like, no, John, I can do this. I can do it. And then that piece of stock haunts you for, you know, years. I mean, I've I've been haunted by great jog bottoms for about the last six years. I can't can't look at I can see that. Yeah, can I can see, see that in your eyes. Haunted. The first thing you noticed when you saw before recording was what a sad, sad man. This Yeah, is, yeah. Normally with is. podcasts, you do like a pre-podcast tech check, but I kept trying to talk to you and you were just sitting in stone silence staring at me. And then the first thing you said was the beginning of the podcast. So it was quite an unsettling experience, but I think appropriate. Yeah, I, I hate small talk and I hate chatting with people like like we've, we've met before. Absolutely not. No time yeah. for it. Yeah, I, I don't fucking I know more. you. What's the point? <laughs> I think if anything, the first thing I said was quite distinctly, fuck off, Patrick. And then I pressed record. Yeah, yeah. It was weird because you were really nice in the messages in a range, like all the admin. I was like, this guy seems nice. And then you're just mumbling, fuck off, Patrick, under your breath. And I was like, hmm, this guy's buried the lead. <laughs> I'm, the, I'm the bad boy of Nicolas Cage podcasts for a reason. It's because I respect <laughs> no one. <laughs> God damn it. Is that right? Absolutely. Are there other Nicolas Cage podcasts? You would be surprised at how many there are. Um, there's like about 20 of them. Like This, this man's story Whoa. has to be told. Um, Jesus, I did. I did the Spotify podcast wrap up because that exists, and I'd, mm. I'd had listeners in um twelve countries. So there's at least twelve countries that want to listen to me get sadder and sadder <laughs> as the weeks go on, and I applaud them all for their uh, for their commitment on that. Um, I, mean, I don't know how your yeah. your wrap up reflected your um your mental state. If you've um, done it, I've done it. I... It's always like there's just a few songs that I've listened to. Like I listened to a metronomy song in August called uh, Salted Caramel, Ice Cream Salted Caramel. Those four words in some combination. <laughs> yeah. And I do remember like August, I couldn't stop listening to that song. But then I look at the wrap up and I'm like, I, did, I don't, that's not, that was just one week. I feel like that one week of indulgence has defined my whole 2020. But yeah. that doesn't speak to who I am. <laughs> I mean, I'm... that's what I expect from a wrap-up <laughs> from a from a Swedish conglomerate. Well, I'm sick of being um, labelled by Swedish conglomerates. If anything, I've had enough oh, of it. Me too. Yeah, I think IKEA I've... done done with it. Done. Yeah. I will I will go for the meatballs, and I'm like, oh, isn't this a, a jaunty name of a thing that I'm not going to buy? And then I'll yeah. leave, and yeah. nothing more. Just leave. Just walk in, walk straight back out. You don't own me, Ikea. Those pencils are too small. 
um what are we what are all of these words none of us even know what that means why don't you speak english for god's sake brexit means brexit yeah go back to sweden <laughs> i was like when is it going to be uh britain kia god damn it thank you yeah i mean someone I had like to say that, it i like that in that joke the i in ikea stands for sweden <laughs> <laughs> i mean <laughs> When I looked at um, the uh, the Spotify wrap up, like the biggest podcast on there was Joe yeah. Rogan's. Like, of course it was. It was like a big yeah, deal. Yeah. So I were thought, were you hoping to? Was there part of you that was hoping maybe you were the biggest podcast of 2020? There was a part of me that hoping for a Nicolas Cage category didn't get it, right. and I thought, right. So what I need to do going into 2021 is more right wing theories. Because I think that's mm. that's the money this year. If I've more. learned anything, so you do have some, some, um, like uh, God, God, goddamn pizza places, <laughs> eyebrow raised. You know what I mean? I do. Yeah, you I know. think so. Yeah, you mean that Nicolas Cage um, works at a pizza place? Yes. Oh, you get it. I'm getting from your tone that that. That's not what you meant, but I, I do think that could be the case. I'm glad that someone finally gets it, Patrick. Yeah. I'm glad that it's you, man. I'm um, glad it's me too. I'd hate to have missed that. <laughs> it would have been embarrassing, and I would have told everyone on the cage circuit. <laughs> so there's 20 cage casts. Are you, do you have a rank? Like, is there a sense of who's the biggest, who's the smallest? You know, are you middle of the pack? What do we need to do to bump you up? Um, well, I think I need to. Well, again, with this year, apparently, an OnlyFans is the way to go. Respect to anyone who's yep. like crushing the OnlyFans game. Uh, OnlyFans, I need to get a little more right wing, maybe a touch more racist. Um, mm-hmm. So, only I'll, I'll pepper it in once every few months, but nothing that a quick YouTube apology can't sort out. I'll yeah, get yeah. Build. I'm so shocked. I'm so ashamed. I've learned from this. As long as you've learned from this, and that's what Bob Ross says, as long as you're learning, you're not yeah. failing. Um, yeah, yeah. So the Bob Ross defense of racism. Um, yeah, and then you'll employ the Bob Ross defense. The Bob Ross defense, um, which is spotless. I will put that out there. And then Unlike I think, his paintbrush. Unlike his paintbrush. Don't there. you think? <laughs> I love Bob Ross, and he has beaten many a devil. What a good, what a good Christian boy is our, yeah. is our Bob. I don't actually know anything about. He is the painting guy, isn't he? Yeah, the, is that the Bob af- Ross? The Afro, yeah, like yeah. permed, permed hair. Yeah, yeah, yeah. See, I think I never really, I only really know about him because of some jokes on Family Guy about him. Um, but I, I think I read once that like he's big in people who smoke weed because you can just get high. And then just watch Bob Ross for hours because it's like soothing and pretty colours and stuff. But I never really smoked weed, so I don't know if I just missed out on it. I wasn't part of that cultural moment. Maybe. I mean, he is, um, I think a lot of people attribute him as like the godfather of ASMR, basically, because he is so relaxing mm-hmm. to watch. Um, a few years ago, I had like a very like a brief stomach condition. Um, and for some reason, and even even now I can't really explain it, but I was like keeled over in like this crippling like pain in my stomach. I put an episode of Bob Ross on and I shit the nay Patrick Spicer for half an mm. hour. My pain went away. Explain wow. it. I can't explain it. I just I know what happened. You to. Uh, yeah, I take you at your word. Next time I'm in any form of, I mean, agony, like mental or physical, I'm going to put it on. And if I, if I'm not healed within 
I'll give him the benefit of eight seconds, but if after mm. eight seconds I still feel any sense of anguish or trauma, I'm going to start my own Nicolas Cage podcast and I'm probably going to have to take you down. Well, it's I hope on. that's not like, I hope you don't feel like that's an aggressive thing for a guest to say to you. Also, when we've only met, you know, this is, we're probably entering our 14th minute of ever having talked to each other. I hope you don't feel like that's too strong a start, but that is how I feel and that is my truth. I mean, I'm not here to deny anyone their truth, but I had a feeling about Thank you. Thank you. The second, oh, yeah? you, the second your smiling face popped on camera, I knew you were trouble. Yeah, yeah. That's why you mumbled under your breath, fuck you, Patrick. They, <laughs> you were they... trying to anticipate it. <laughs> I was anticipating the usurp that was coming. Mm. And, uh, and here we are, 14 minutes in. Um, yeah. And I've, I think, officially the first enemy of the Nicolas Cage podcast. Oh, um, really? Oh, good. Could be. So yeah, yeah, yeah. we can carry this um, this antagonistic relationship until the end of the episode as well. Yeah, and maybe even escalate it. Yeah, I mean, I don't even know who to escalate it to. I don't know who the governing body of Nicolas Cage podcasts is. <laughs> um, <laughs> I'm sure there's some. there will be some bureaucratic red tape. Somewhere. I think just like in comedy, um, you know, <laughs> what union? Um, yeah, just totally. We just it's just a wild west out here in both of our uh, respective realms so yeah, yeah i i just try and tell it like it is and if you know the nicholas page nicholas if the nicholas cage podcast regulates nicholas page nicholas page also sounds like a person that sounds like i would believe that that person existed well i mean nicholas page there's someone called Nicholas Page listening to this, and I've just gone, what a silly name. And they've just turned this off yeah. and gone back to They've probably to just instantly iced themselves. <laughs> Self-ice. <laughs> if it's between the hours of 6 and 7 a.m. in New York, that's the prime time for suicides. Is that a fact or is that a lie you made up? That's uh, a lie that um, uh, Paul Schrader made up, right. the writer of Bringing Up the Bodies. I pretty didn't they say that between seven and eight? Because when one of the um, callers is calling him to get him to go and do something, they were like, "It's the suicide hour. Everyone's killing themselves." Oh yes, I remember um, Martin Scorsese, the male radio voice. Um, who did was it, it as well? Yeah. Oh no, because that was one of my notes. Was I hated? He was the one who was like doing all the like little. Um, he's the king of stink. The blah of blah. The guy who smells like shit. Um, yeah. Oh, he was awful. Yeah, there's there's a guy who's got no respect for anyone. Um, so Martin Scorsese was the male voice. Uh, the female radio operative, Queen Latifah. Knew it. Yeah, I knew it. What when about? she was um, flirting with uh, Marcellus Wallace. Uh, Big um, Daddy Marcus, um, I think he called himself as well. Yeah, he wasn't... I should say my overall... <sighs> When you um, sent me in, I'd never heard of this movie when I was like, oh, Nicolas Cage. And I looked it up. I was like, wow, it's directed by Martin Scorsese. <laughs> it's written by Paul Schrader. I was like, how have I never heard of this? And, yeah. um, and then I watched it and I was like, oh, that's why. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, this, this is one that slipped through. Um, I think I read this was the... Uh, only Scorsese film of the 90s that basically didn't get any awards nominations at all. So by the Scorsese standards, um, this was, uh, like he says on the radio, this one, probably a king of stink as well. Mm -hmm. 
apparently this was um, a film that Scorsese admitted that he didn't enjoy making because it mostly <laughs> night shoots mid-December in New York, um, which I can imagine was probably awful. Mm. Sounds like a hellacious film to make this one. Yeah, it looked like everyone had a pretty bad time. And it's got people in it who like like Tom Sizemore. We it's nice that we don't see him in anything anymore because he's so unappealing. I know he's supposed to be unlikable, but even as an unlikable character, and when I see him showing up in things, I'm like, oh fuck off. <laughs> <laughs> this is classic Sizemore. At it again. Just Yeah, just beating up patients and like homeless people and it was just yeah i found him very annoying and i also don't understand same goes for patricia arquette i don't know why she got so much work in the 90s like why she was such an (laughs) in-demand actor we don't really see her anymore yeah and probably because of like mercilessness of hollywood but i just think she's awful i just i really i don't buy anything she does she's so like Just woolly. Yeah, I mean, like I said, she has a lot of work in the 90s. I don't know um, that in in this film particularly that I really bought that Cage and Arquette were potentially romantically bonded over the heart attack Mm. of a father. I mean, it's not... When you tell the kids, how did you meet? I don't know if that's... You could make up anything... But yeah, your, your mom's dad died, and I was kind of into it. Um, yeah, <laughs> New York, hell of a town. Yeah, she's kind of a drug addict, but that doesn't—that was never really explored until very late in the movie, and then pretty much immediately gotten rid of. It was just a very brief, strange scene, seemingly only to set up the end, like where the drug dealer jumps off the balcony. Like that whole bit just seemed to be about so that we would know who that was later for like super gory yeah stabbed himself with a fence yeah i mean i'm not i'm not sure if this is meant to be one of those kind of like it's like 24 hours in a and e like anything can happen when you're on the job but (laughs) it's like you said we we meet um i think he's called cy cy coates um he was actually Mm. possibly the most relaxing man in the film very nice tone of voice and i appreciate time huge from the first second he was in i was like genuinely this guy is chilling me out (laughs) yeah he's so chill yeah i mean so far it's just been like god's sake frank pierce get some sleep please because he is Mm. um and we can go into this a bit later he's desperately trying to get himself fired and uh you know that's an employment line i can relate to when you just start giving up on the job um, mm. But then we meet Sai, by all accounts, a very nice drug dealer. Um, he mm. believes in what he does. Like Bob Ross, very ASMR. I could have him sit me down, and I don't do drugs, but if he was the one giving me the pitch, I'd, out of kindness, in more than anything, give me what you've got. It's going in one of the, one of the holes. I don't, I don't know. Oh, wow. Either. So even if he gave you a sort of suppository in that situation, you'd be like, yeah, absolutely. You're that convincing. Some guys are just so nice. Yeah, yeah. You don't want to be rude to a, a nice drug dealer. And also, I'm a coward, so I would absolutely um, supposit in a yeah. um, in, in entrance C if that's what it what it had to come to. Um, 
It was a nice room. It feels like a nice place to do that. If you're going to do that, it would be nice to do it in that. What I liked about it, it really gave me some, because um, it's in this. So I, I don't know if anybody will have watched this movie. And if they haven't, I don't really recommend it. But Patricia Arquette goes in there to just take drugs and then Nicolas Cage follows her in. And um, it's like this uh, kind of, uh, oasis apartment in this horrific apartment block where mm. like everything's disgusting and run down but then in there it's just like plush and there's like a big fish tank and it just looks really fancy i was just like man if i ever get enough money to buy a flat <laughs> there's a real goal <laughs> of being like i'm gonna buy the worst place in the worst building in london and then just for the thing of being like and then you'd walk in and be like oh my god you have really done a lot with this place it's very nice being in here in contrast to like i just walked out of a pool of blood and urine yeah i mean that is the the before and after of apartments i think yeah. did, did they call it um it was day rise enterprises i think i don't know if yeah. that was the, name of the building or the business hopefully both i like to imagine every room was just some kind of mr ben uh drug nirvana catered to any yeah. whim on these that you like um yeah it's crazy because places like that probably do exist don't they like yeah where you can just go and get strung out we should check that out (laughs) yeah i think if this um if either you or myself are going to escalate the ranks of the cage podcast then at some point there needs to be a chill zone because when you go through the films, it can be a taxing experience. And mm. I'm not the same person as I was before I went on this journey. Um, sometimes I just need to look at a tank of fish and have suppositories. Yeah. And I think mm. this is, if You're nothing else, I'm only human. And, you mm. know, I just need to hallucinate and then scream as well every now and then. Is that too much to ask? I don't, I don't think, it think so. I don't think it is. Sometimes you got to cage out sometimes you've got a cage out and then it's how you bring yourself back so if yeah any would you would you take a sign like role would you bring me through or would you be like oh this one's a good one but then also mumble under your breath understandably mm. so like fuck you daryl and there's i just yeah. fucking lose it and then i probably would throw in a fuck i probably would throw in a fuck you daryl um but that would be unrelated to my role as a sci like character he would be if I was Cy and you came in, I think I'd, you know, you've you've said that you're a coward, so I'd find you to be quite pliable mm-hmm. and probably could quite easily get you hooked on, um, you know, whatever narcotics we happen to have in the flat at that time. So I could kind of see you as just the person we just always had there who was kind of always dependent, maybe had quite a good job, so like had quite a good income stream that I could leech off of and just get some, you know, like some nicer fish some like fancy tiger looking ones and stuff like that. So I think you'd be a real asset to Sunrise Enterprises. Um, But in return, it would obviously, you know, completely destroy you, um, your sense of self and all your relationships. You know, swings and roundabouts, man. Swings and roundabouts. Mm. If I have to go down so that you can get one more exotic fish, am I going to stand in the way of progress? I don't know, are you? This year, in 2020? I Mm. mean... I might a little yeah. bit, but I'm imagining okay. by that point, being a cowboy, I've built up the confidence to say to you, I don't know if I'm a, if this is, 
if this is my jam. There's already a needle yeah. in my arm, and you're going, ha, classic Daryl, pushing the needle down, and I'm out. Yeah, yeah. I'm done. Yeah. And uh, just another sucker, just another day for your enterprise. Just another Paris. punk in the room. That's what would happen. You'd pass out, and I'd turn to Tiger, and I'd just go, just another punk in the room. And then he'd go, that's not very nice. That's a human being. And i go, you're right, Tiger. You made me think differently about this. And yeah. then we'd probably have a, you know, maybe a chamomile. <laughs> You're like, well, well, I, have, I was up until like 5 a.m. practicing that for this very mm. moment. And now I feel I feel like maybe I am scum. But then you have a little sip of tea. You pop a Bob mm. Ross on. Yeah, and it all yeah, goes yeah. away. They could have done with a Bob Ross in that apartment. I don't think they even had a TV. It was that zen. It was just like everybody. Although, man, when he first takes the calm down pill that the guy gives him, like, you really do get a sense of like, how people with stressful lives can really easily turn to chemical dependency. I was like, that was one moment in the movie where I was like, oh, that's a pretty well-made point because it was just his life is so unbearable. And then here's this simple way that will relax him without solving any of his under underpinning problems. I was like, yeah, that's quite a good, I can see how that would happen. Yeah. I can see how a Nicolas Cage type would start and then obviously has even more problems yeah i mean he's he doesn't make any secret of the fact that he uh he likes a little drink or two on the job and mm. again we're all human i think if i was in that position uh have, being someone who has survived the night shift at primark uh it, congratulations uh, again thank you man it's been uh seven seven years of a uh, of recovery so i'm a mm. real real into it but he yeah took, one day at a time <laughs> one day at a time but every time i go back in that temptation to fold it doesn't leave you mm. it doesn't yeah. leave you um i was on like a children's department and like um i'm not saying i'm a hero but the mm. way i folded uh the ages of you know up to 12 years old those jeans was immaculate one day the big yeah. boss man of primark came in the chief exec uh, mr pry mark himself as well wow mark pry <laughs> Mark to his friends and allies. Mm. Um, mm. He came in from store inspection, and I stood there like a good little soldier. And let me mm. tell you, I was blanked. I oh. got nothing, and I I mumbled at him like, "I'll see you in the fucking Zen yeah. room, mate." Fuck you, Mark. That's not how I thought that story was going to go. I thought it was going to be a bit more triumphant. Um, but the 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 punchline of the story was you getting blanked. <laughs> yeah, Darren. I think you need to think more about the types of stories you tell about yourself. <laughs> you're making a first impression with people yeah um, that's not I, like a first date story of like and then let me tell you i got <laughs> blanked like oh i don't respect this guy anymore yeah but jokes on him because i got paid minimum wage at the end of the month so who's yeah who's the real real winner uh him i'm nearly 30 years old and this still haunts me <laughs> how old are you 29 <laughs> 29 Two nine mm. and ninety one, ninety one. I'm ninety. I could uh, tell you a little bit, a little bit about uh, the world, about the way things are. If you ever need any wisdom, see again. The second I looked at you, I thought, I bet he's going to be born in ninety. That's just the kind of angle he's going to take. <laughs> the whole over me. Yeah, yeah. Oh, ninety. Crazy stuff was happening back then. Um, World Cup. That's it. <laughs> I don't That's know. That's it. <laughs> I was born, and there was a World Cup. I don't even know if there was. No, it was Euro, I think. 
I can't remember. I know there was a because it was an even year. There must have been an international football tournament. Was it? Was it an, an Italia? That seems to ring a bell. Italia ninety. That sounds right. Yeah. Um, Italia ninety. I'm gonna be honest. I've, I've never watched a football in my life, so I'm just. You've never to say, <laughs> watched a, an individual football. Never, You've never, never just sat it. down and watched one. Couldn't describe it to you. I'm just trying yeah. to sound good for the for the lads. <laughs> I can't even for the lads. Do you have a lot of lads who tune in? Um, I've got some some hardcore ragers. Is what I'm is what I'm nice. going for. Um, who very keen on um, hearing updates about Cage and my neighbour. Um, yeah. One day he's going to listen to this. I'm going to get done for slander, but that's the path I took. Whoa! What's the deal with the neighbour? What's your beef with your neighbour? Um, this is the thing, and I know I've not made a great first impression already, but this mm. is part of being the bad boy of the Cage Podcasting world. He's Does this so... end with your neighbour blanking you? Because I'm not going to be impressed. If you cut off one of my stories again, Spicer. <laughs> <laughs> No, he's the thing is he's so aggressively nice, but also boring that I just need I need an angle. I need something to latch mm. on to because I can't deal with someone being so hospitable. Um, yeah. The only thing is he's put his Christmas decorations up now. And bear in mind that where my house is situated, I'm the only one who's going to see him along with my partner. But they don't go off until midnight. So I've just got light wave snowflakes just coming in into my bedroom. Mm. Um which is, you know, you that, is, to think, that is annoying. That's that's all I've had so far since I've lived in this place for about 11 months now. Mm. That's all I've got is that he's really festive. And I don't know if he's I can hang boring and now. he's festive. Yeah. I, mm. I don't can't know. do much with that. What does I, he do? Do you know his job? Um, I believe he's the manager of... Um, Primark. <laughs> it was him that walked past and blanked me. <laughs> <laughs> I've been having PTSD since. Uh, you accidentally moved in next. You could never move in next door to him because he's too successful. He lives in a penthouse. He's in a penthouse, and I'm just looking up, begging, begging for another opportunity just to be noticed mm. again. Yeah. So I saw my father in him and thought, "Please, this is the this is the one." You know, mm. us nineties babies. Yeah. I don't know how that relates in any way, shape, or form. No, it doesn't at all. It but doesn't. I will, I will allow solidarity on that point. You've been far too gen. You're like Ian. You're far too generous, and I've got nothing to latch on to other than your outward attempts to usurp me. Who's Ian? Ian's your neighbour. Yeah, <laughs> you said that without. <laughs> There's no way I could have known that. Um, but I like that you've compared me to Ian because it sounds like he's your nemesis currently and I'm your nemesis in future. So there will be a handing of the baton where Ian and I meet up and just share, you know, techniques. He shows me specifically where I could potentially put Christmas decorations that will enrage you. Um, <laughs> and I and I tell, I tell him how he might want to, you know, do his SEO for his Nicolas Cage podcast. And what kinds of things he might want to get involved in to be known as a bad boy? I hate all of this. I hate everything. <laughs> <laughs> I hate this. <laughs> Thanks for having me on your podcast. <laughs> <laughs> I hate that this is a thing that this is a thing in my head that I fear could happen. Um, yeah, you got to have more confidence about your Nicolas Cage podcast prospects. But you do actually. You were you were banging on about twenty twenty one being a, a big year for you. Not the right reasons, though, let's be honest. 
No, you need to get some big guests. You're booking losers. You look at look who's on your podcast right now. <laughs> you think I'm gonna be the pathway <laughs> to your big? <laughs> you got to shoot for like big, big time. Eddie Izzard, get him. I know. He's I need to just. Followers. I need to. I've heard he's quite big and quite good. I need to just go mm. absolutely beyond my fucking means. Um, when, yeah. when and when people start asking for pay for this nonsense and it is yeah. i'll yeah. tell them that i can but i won't deliver now yeah, maybe yeah, i shouldn't admit right. this on the part of the episode that's going to be <laughs> put out. yeah that's they might have a, a clue but they're not going to listen back to every episode before they commit to do it they'll just get the email saying i will pay you a hundred million pounds to be on my podcast and then yeah. they'll take that as a contract i hope so um because I want to only go from 12 countries to 13. I've got empires yeah. to expand on. And for what it's worth, Patrick, our um, mm-hmm. our antagonistic relationship aside, I don't think you're a loser. I actually Whoa. think you're... Whoa. You think I'm what? I, I was about to say, I actually think you're a really nice guy. <laughs> oh, thanks, mate. I appreciate that. I like that you... Because loser is kind of a, a judgment on my career... And my like comedy and my ability. And you so said I like it. The, I like that rather than you know alleviating my anxieties about that type of being a loser. You just said I was kind of a nice guy, which is good <laughs> because it, it implies that the loser was about you know losers are not very nice guys. <laughs> actually, um, so I feel reassured, and I'm glad that I I'm glad that I tuned in to this podcast. <laughs> no. I'm, I'm glad. To, I don't know if this is going to be the start of anything beautiful. Maybe we'll never speak again after this. Hey, I don't know. I might but, have you as a guest on my Nicolas Cage podcast. It's the ultimate insult. <laughs> and it'll just be a continuation of this. We've maybe spent yeah. about two minutes talking about the film. Well, yeah. Do you want to talk more? I don't. Yeah. What, what's your? Do you have any any good takes? <laughs> <laughs> oh, can I just say I wrote down. Um, Someone said this kit, this city, it'll kill you if you're not strong enough. And I wrote that down as a particularly poorly written uh, piece of dialogue. I think it was in Nicholas Cage. The whole way through the movie, Nicholas Cage is doing uh, diarizing in his own head. And I just don't think he's got the. This is my core problem with the movie is that Nicholas Cage is great, mm-hmm. um, but. He's best when he's either being full mad or full serious. I think when it's this weird in between where he's trying to be really like dramatic and nuanced, but then he has moments of freak out. Like he started freaking out about an hour in, Mm. which was too late because by then it was like, (laughs) you expect me to take you seriously, Cage. You can't do this to me now. There's (laughs) a cutoff point for you for, for Cage freak out. Yeah, I'm a I'm a traditionalist cage wise. I mm-hmm. I want to see a binary performance, um, and sometimes he does a kind of in between. I haven't really seen that many Nicolas Cage movies. <laughs> That's kind of part of the problem. I loved in uh, uh, Bad Lieutenant. It's probably my favorite Nicolas Cage film. Yeah, because he's full freak out the whole. He has a similar level of like unbelievable stress the whole way through the movie but he's mad the entire time. Yeah, I think I think I get what you mean. When he did start shouting at the end, I was kind of like, is is this my my biased perception of the cage that I want? Because all throughout, like 
Mm. Obviously, he runs. Uh, he, he does a night shift as a paramedic. He's very tired, and I get mm. that he was. For most of the film, it's like, oh, um, uh, we should probably try and mumbling like I did to you at the start. But then when we yeah. get those those little bits of, of freaks, I thought, well, is he is this going to escalate and escalate, and then he's just going to lose it? Um, is he going to see more ghosts? Because when I sort of read the mm. uh, the synopsis of the film, I was kind of. Um, expect it to go a bit more all in on the, I guess, sort of supernatural aspects because um, he only seems to be haunted by, um, I believe it's Rose, like one ghost yeah. in particular. And I thought there's going to be loads. I don't know what your take on Yeah, that, I was surprised when in the intro to this, you said it was a supernatural. I would never have thought it was genred as a supernatural movie because... Uh, yeah, really, it is only that one person who dies, and you know, we—that's more of like uh, you see that in TV shows all the time. It's like just people who are psychologically haunted by a thing in their past, and he's seeing it everywhere, but he's not literally. And also, that was so built up the whole way through of uh, the person he's being haunted by was because he was responsible for their death because he wasn't a good paramedic that day. But it was such a... It really did not feel like an interesting or significant payoff for, like, why his entire character was built around that. It was just like, <laughs> yeah. I don't really understand why he kept making that mistake in the first place, and that mistake doesn't feel linked to anything else except that scene. It was like, yeah. he's not generally known to be bad at intubating. Yeah. I, I We get all this build-up to be like, okay, so why is it that you're so down in the dumps and then you've been haunted by mm. this one figure. As you've said, um, on that day, it just didn't happen, despite John Goodman's insistence that you're doing it wrong. And he mm. told him maybe four or five times before they yeah. before they swapped out. He was committed to, to pumping air in the stomach, for better yeah. or worse. Um, and all John Goodman wanted to do um, was just to get himself a nice late-night takeaway at the Chinese so motivations um yeah it wasn't really like if his character had been someone who like always wanted to do a good job or like never wanted to make mistakes or something then then his decision to continue trying in the face of like when it was obviously he should have let john goodman do it then i would have been like that makes sense but yeah, it just seemed completely random and it was so late in the movie. Yeah. I was just a bit like, I don't really, I don't know. I think because I didn't take it seriously at any point, like about 10 minutes in, I was like, I don't think I'm going to like this movie. <laughs> it's like, I don't think this is very well written, directed or acted. And do you know what I mean? When you just switch off a little bit and you're like, I'm not going to give you the benefit of the doubt on anything <laughs> and, and every thing will yeah. bother me yeah i there's it's one of those things when even when you see sort of the, the names listed paul schrader martin scorsese mm. um there's just a thing i think when you've seen enough films you, you just you just know in the mm. fibers of your dna that you're not gonna love it i mean i yeah. didn't i didn't hate it i'll put that out there i think no, they could have done so much more with it um and, and like I say, if they'd gone maybe more into that, I thought we're going to get more ghosts, more haunting is going to go in a completely different route. Um, mm. Just by the end of it, 
he completed the three days of his shift and he had a nice, yeah. <laughs> he had a nice little sleep at the end. Yeah, yeah. What, was that it? Was it over the course of three nights? I didn't yeah. realise that. Oh, yeah. right. I, I think it was, it was just a... Thursday, Friday, Saturday, um, happy days. And then he has yeah, a nice little... Yeah, the happy sleep. days model. The absolute days model. Um, and I thought they were going to do it more as well, or this was going to be more of a subplot when they had the... Um, uh, the red death drug that seems yeah. to pop up in the first half. I thought, mm-hmm. oh, is he going to end up taking that? Is this going to link into one of his paramedic partners? Um, mm-hmm. It was just a thing that happens. And then they go um, to the nightclub when it's a cardiac arrest. And I think it's either at that point or the next cardiac arrest, Cage just kicks off. He's like, why is it always a cardiac arrest? I'm sick of cardiac arrests. I think yeah. I don't know that you get to choose in a job as like a paramedic that. Yeah, yeah yeah you kind of well they kept doing that they would get calls and be like "Ugh, i don't want to do that and then they would always go and do it anyway i didn't understand <laughs> yeah. um i think the red death thing was literally just to uh so there was a so there was a reason for that drug dealer to to jump out of the jump off the balcony because he got attacked by it like it seemed to be important to the story that there was a difference between the two types of drug dealer, hmm. like that guy who seemed to be big about calming people down and specifically said he didn't want to exploit people, but was a hypocrite because he shot someone in the head or something, which they just threw in as such a stupid uh, plot subplot. Yeah. But I don't know why it, it didn't seem important. I didn't really understand. <laughs> I didn't really understand what was going on. It's like, yeah. what's going on with Nicolas Cage's character? Yeah, that's. I mean, that's a question for that... a lot, a lot of his films. But, <laughs> but it, like I said, the, the Red Death it didn't really go in anywhere. The only, yeah, and I, and I realize how <clears throat> how I'm wording this. Um, the only enjoyment from the Red Death I had is that we got to meet the guy who they saved in the nightclub was called Ivy Bangin. I was like, yeah. I was like, all right, okay, here we go. We're about to crank this up to a, to level two. And then mm. he just got told off by his friends. Mm. And then there was that passive-aggressive nurse in the hospital who just keeps telling people to yeah. go and die somewhere else. Um, yeah, yeah, the people in the hospital didn't really care. The whole time they were in the hospital, it just made me be like, I wish I was watching ER. <laughs> <laughs> like, ER was fucking dope. And <laughs> yeah, not enough people watched ER. I watched it when I was a kid from that was one thing me and my family always sat down and watched together (laughs) and it was so good it was like you really got the stress and intensity of of uh an emergency room yeah but people were like jaded in this one but not jaded enough for it to be really like I was thinking there's a book actually I don't know if you've read it called House of God is written by Samuel Shem and it's like um, it is about like these junior doctors in America. It's fictional, but it's just all about how horrific they just go through this horrific experience of like watching people die. And it just like questions morality and mortality. It's really bleak. Right. And I was like, I feel like that does kind of what this is sort of trying to do, but in a more comp- like just clearer and more likable characters. I don't even know why I'm referencing this book because 
<laughs> no one will have read it or care. <laughs> so and no one holding it up as a model of how to tell this type of story. <laughs> you just but I do think for something better. better. Yeah, I was just like, are you trying? Because it didn't escalate either. It was just like each each night was as bad as the last, really, wasn't it? Like, yeah, I mean, on the whole, I mean, with. John Goodman, they just got the, the takeaway at the end, and then he's like, oh, I can't eat the same thing two nights in a row. <laughs> and then yeah. there was um, sort of the Red Death, and then with the, the last guy, they were just um, chasing uh, Noah, who had that, uh, or Noel, I should say. Yeah. Um, he was just thirsty all no. the time. He had that sort of rare condition, and he was always covered in blood. Yeah, he got uh, no resolution, except he got beaten up again by Tom Sizemore. <laughs> and yeah. then not beaten up by Nicolas Cage, but it was like Nicolas Cage never wanted to beat him up, so that doesn't <laughs> that's nothing. Yeah, I mean I th- I thought with Noel there was gonna be he was at the start of the film on the gurney asking for war, and then he yeah. runs away about five different times. And mm-hmm. I was thinking, oh maybe is he gonna be another ghost or something in a very sixth sense kind of way? Um That would be cool. But he was just um, like just another patient who just happened to know Patricia Arquette. That went nowhere. Yeah. Um, And then, as you said, Nicolas Cage didn't even want to beat him up, just wanted to talk about baseball while Tom Sizemore absolutely shooed him in in the sort of the basement of some some housing complexes. Yeah. I guess it was like a, maybe it was like a test of how much of his humanity has he lost. And it wasn't enough to do that but it was enough so i guess the the beginning of patricia arquette's dad almost dying and then trying to die the whole way through the movie and then at the end he he kill a euthanizes him yeah and but then that, telepathy as well yeah i didn't like every i hated that <laughs> <laughs> but then so it's so what is the message of that that it's compassionate to let people die now you mention it, I'm trying to think. So I watched this about a week ago, as of the point of recording, and I'm right. thinking now: was the, was there a message to this to this film? Was I supposed to take something away, other than uh, sleep is good? Sleep is good. That seems like a tough job, but I assume is absolutely nothing like this representation of that job. Yeah, um, which is weird because this film was based on uh, a book of the same name, which mm. was sort of autobiographical in nature. Um, bring it on subject, bring it up books. Joe Connolly, um, mm. and he he basically was Frank Pierce, did the same job, paramedic in a hell's kitchen in New York. Um, I think it's one of the things you always find it interesting when you get a book that like this was a bestseller when it was released, and then you get the adaption of it, and then. Mm. Always makes me think what what was included in the book that they missed out here. Did did Joe Connolly see ghosts? Did he um, mm. flip his van? Did he question uh, Marcellus Wallace on uh, the three rules of speaking to a, to a female mm-hmm. radio operative? And remember, we can't even begin to understand the complexities of Rule Three. Um, what was Rule Three? I've forgotten it. Um, so the rules were. Uh, don't get involved with patients. That was one. Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah. Two, don't get involved with the patient's daughters. Two strikes for Cage. And yeah. then three, uh, don't get involved with dispatchers named Love. 
Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. It feels like he was projecting. <laughs> yeah, <I laughs> Those don't, don't sound like global rules. <laughs> the first two, uh, you know, in terms of ethics, if nothing else, yeah. then that makes sense. I'm on board with rules one and two. Rule three, yeah. that's, that's a very specific rule for a man who doesn't like being called out on his bullshit. Yeah, yeah, that just sounds like he has a problem with that person. And I mean, usually lists increase in... Um, significance but rules one and two I mean that those are like not only fireable offenses but surely a breach of the Hippocratic Oath or whatever version <laughs> yeah. paramedics I assume that they uh, swear to do something similar to not fuck patients yeah um, so for the third you know that's the thing I don't because when I don't like movies that go in and out of like being stupid because i wouldn't even call it silly because i like silly it would just go in between of being stupid like stuff that didn't make sense or was like just kind of dumb and then trying to be taken very seriously like can you believe this woman didn't know she was pregnant and she gave birth in a stairwell it's yeah. like yeah I, I can absolutely believe that that happens but i don't think you should be telling that story because <laughs> you have <laughs> you don't have the sensitivity for it no i mean i've I, I understand he's he's passionate and then we get the miracle babies. Uh, and even with yeah. that, when, you know, they celebrate saving one baby, I thought in relation to Pierce Cage's character with the other twin that didn't make it, I thought that was going to mm. have a knock-on effect. And mm. that kind of just walled itself off as yeah, well yeah. and didn't really go anywhere. Um, so it's just, it, it's, just weird like we've been saying we get all this build and the whole thing that he's not saved someone in months and circling mm. back to what we were saying earlier the whole film seemed to, seemed to build towards him saving the world's nicest drug dealer who'd mm-hmm. impaled himself on a railing um and then and, and i just want to say here like i'm not in the in the um, sort of emergency services so i don't know how the procedure of cutting a railing multiple stories in the air would be when someone's dangling off of it but it doesn't seem like they planned that out very well because they cut that railing and he was going to plummet to his death and i don't think and i'm going to call it i don't think anyone cared no i don't think so either i I think i didn't understand why they used the blowtorch He's impaled and he's hanging off the edge. And they were like, it's going to get extremely hot. <laughs> it's like, <laughs> yeah. but why then? Why don't you just use, <laughs> that's not like the normal thing. That just seems like you're doing that for fun. Yeah. yeah like a angle grinder, like they do when they cut, like the jaws of life or whatever. Yeah. No one here seems properly trained. They're very <laughs> relaxed about this. Yeah. Because I mean, he's a drug dealer. It seems to be a mix of paramedics and um, sort of firefighters. And all I could mm. all I could think to myself when I was watching it, as if you know this was somehow the most unbelievable moment of the film. In my head, mm. I was like, "You wouldn't see this from Fireman Sam. He would he would have sorted this out well and truly." Yeah, no problem. He'd have the right kit. He would talk yeah. with respect to everyone involved. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> he'd be a service to his community, and he would get an, another medal for it, and rightly so. And rightly so. Cage and that crew were not... The firemen in this film were using rabbis to point at... I didn't understand that joke at all. (laughs) When he arrives to the scene and then there's a load of rabbis pointing the spotlight (laughs) on top of the uh, fire engine. And he's like, what's with the rabbis? It's like they asked if they could help out, so I made them point the light. I was like, what is this, a 
Is that anti-Semitic? I don't understand. <laughs> <laughs> What's that joke for? Yeah, that that's just flashed back to me. And I was like, are you that short-staffed that you need the local rabbi to point in your spotlight? Is he pointing out for the, the Jewish Batman? I don't know what yeah. this is. This is odd. Why is that? Why is that happening? <laughs> G- genuinely baffling. Um, and then Cage makes the save, um, you know, or all hail the mighty Cage. Um, they yeah, all pull does. him up, and then Sai gets wheeled into the the hospital, and he's like, "Look, you you saved my life." And it seems this is supposed to be the big cathartic moment. This is the release we're looking for with Frank Pierce, and yeah. then. I mean, maybe I was just kind of a little bum, like bogged down with the film. I suspect maybe you were at this point as well. But it's mm-hmm. like, okay, I get, obviously, you've had a tough few months. You're very tired, understandably. But it doesn't seem like he was registering that, saying, I finally did it. I'm, mm-hmm. I'm, I'm, I'm okay at this job. I'm, there didn't seem to be any like release. I still, I still felt just like grim. By, well, by you know what I think it. it might have been? As you were talking, I realized at the beginning of the film, I might have even wrote it down because I, oh yeah, I did. He said, saving someone's life is like falling in love. It's the best drug in the world. And I wrote it down because again, I thought that's some bad writing. <laughs> um, but yeah, early in the film, maybe the first 10 minutes, he talks about the like, uh, the feeling of saving somebody's life and like you're high for days and you feel amazing. So mm. maybe him having no reaction to having saved that person's life is supposed to be like a symbolic uh, how much he's like, he doesn't care anymore and he's not like he's lost his whatever the thing was that made him want to do that. He's just lost his humanity. Ah, I like maybe that. Maybe this is a great movie. <laughs> maybe we're wrong. <laughs> Maybe totally. I mean, yeah. it had seventy something percent on Rotten Tomatoes, seventy one percent as well. So you know, yeah. What newspapers do we write for? What do we know? Uh, I write for the Guardian and the Daily Mail. Pick pick a just side, to keep, yeah, just to keep people guessing. <laughs> <laughs> and that's what I like about you—the ambiguity. Of yeah, your that's right. Famous for it, famously. <laughs> Characterly ambiguous. I'll tell you what uh, what wasn't ambiguous. It did debut at number four on the weekend box office. Uh, okay. Grossed 16.7 million. Now against a budget of seven, uh, 32 million. So it oh was a box office bomb. Um, they sort of asked Scorsese about it and he said, yeah, it was a bomb. But the real yeah. heroes are the paramedics. They're the same. So what a save. <laughs> what Good a save. save. Yeah, yeah. Um, Although you've got a real opportunity when you make a movie about paramedics to make people like them uh, and support them and like donate to charities and stuff, but no one watched this film. They're probably just like, <laughs> man, fuck paramedics. <laughs> they just go around euthanizing people and being drunk and crashing ambulances and not caring about it. <laughs> this is a PR disaster for St. John's Ambulance. This is why we stopped clapping, man. This film is the reason yeah. why we stopped clapping. This is. I work for the NHS. My day job is for the NHS. And even I, I handed in my resignation saying that <laughs> I watched this movie yesterday and I emailed my line manager 10 minutes later saying, what's the point? We're all monsters. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I went to the local um, sort of university hospital in Leeds and I just stood outside for two hours flipping it off. Yeah. And, oh, yeah, I, yeah. and I, think, I think I was, you know, within... 
within my rights to do so. Um, you were morally compelled to do so because of the work of Paul Schrader. Also, I didn't know you were in Leeds. I went to university in Leeds. Really? When, um, and I'm we're sidetracking now. I, yeah, I've, I've only been here since 27. <laughs> this, is, this, this will be for the Patreon, the real nitty gritty stuff. Um, when did when did you stop Leedsing? Because I only moved here 2017. So at no oh, point okay. I passed probably would have crossed if we're of a similar mm-hmm. age. No chance, because I was there 2008 to 2011. Right. So three I, wise. The three uh, wise. And I was in all student accommodation. Well, not, yeah, student accommodation pretty much every year. So I probably wouldn't have lived where you live. Where do you live? Uh, I'm in an outskirts called Morley. Um, oh, yeah, yeah. If I never if, went to Morley, but I saw it as a name of places you could go on the train. <laughs> That's exactly why it rings a bell. It is a name of a place. And you can go there on the train. And when people ask me what's the best thing about Morley, I'm like, there's six letters in it. Um, so, also, Sean Morley is a comedian. And yes. He's very funny. And his, so that you could think about that. Um, instead of this film, I might just start plugging Sean Morley and his, uh, and his Twitch. Yeah, I haven't <laughs> seen his Twitch. Escape the North. Um, I've been meaning to catch an episode. Um, yeah, just just go and subscribe to Sean Morley instead of watch yeah. this film. That's the real. That's the real yeah. takeaway from this. I reckon you would. Oh, you definitely have a better time watching a Sean Morley show than whatever this movie is. And you, you learn more about be tired. Yeah, you wouldn't be tired. You wouldn't be tired. Yeah, I, discover. I um. It's, a, it's such a horrible feeling when you don't like a movie early and then you're like, I mean, in any other circumstances, I would have turned it off after about 10 minutes. I'd have been like, this isn't for me. Of course. But when you've got an obligation because of you and your stupid podcast. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, I can't turn this off. I have to watch it. So at the angrier I got with the quality of the movie, yeah. the angrier I got at the mental avatar of you. And I looked forward <laughs> and I looked forward to attacking you face to face. The only reason, and this is the reason why we've both had to like push this back. Again, more behind the scenes stuff. We've had to push it back yeah. because we've been playing mind games for about a month. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Psyching each other out. We had it. We had an initial date. I got busy. I did not watch the movie. I pushed it back a week. You said fine, but presumably under your breath, you mumble, "Fuck you, Patrick." <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I mean, I approached the first date. I forgot I was working late and couldn't do that date. That was on me. Oh you had yeah, business. yeah. So I kicked it off because I, I initially thought, "Fucking sucker," but then yeah, you, yeah. you volleyed it right back. You gave me yeah. like, an absolute Djokovic volley backwards, and I couldn't deal. Yeah, yeah, I yeah. You, I could tell you were psychologically devastated and entirely emasculated. And I never do this. I have to go for walks. Oh, shit. So, so, plural walks. Well done, Patrick. You did Thank it. Thank you. You Thank got you. me. Go yeah. and subscribe That's to the Patrick's podcast. <laughs> <laughs> You're stealing NHS claps, you son of a gun. Um, hey, I work for the NHS. I earned those claps. Every clap that you gave at 8 p.m., any clap you gave went straight into my pocket. You're a scumbag and I want you to know it. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, wrapping up now on these mm-hmm. uh, friendly waters, um, I think we've, we've surmised a lot on this film, but um, if, if you could um, surmise it for the listeners, would you watch this film again? Would you recommend it to anyone? Do you think 
in the um, in the list of Cage films, good and bad. Uh, where does this one stand for you? Uh, no, I would not watch it again. I would not recommend it. Um, in the pantheon, I can't think of a worse Nicolas Cage film I've watched. I'm sure there are worse ones out there because he's made so many movies. Um, I, I think most Nicolas Cage films I've watched, I'm in, I've enjoyed. Like I said earlier, like there's the silly ones which are really fun because they're silly. There's like Con Air. No one's looking at that and being like, this is a masterpiece, <laughs> but it is really fun yeah. and funny and silly. That's the thing is when you take away Nicolas Cage's ability to be funny, because he's so fucking funny, um, then you're just left with it. Like, I don't think it's not good. <laughs> That's my review. My <laughs> review is let Cage be Cage. Don't put him in a cage. <laughs> you see what I did? More. You, you, you get off and miss the claps. Do you like that? Yeah, that's, it feels like 8pm all over again. <laughs> but, <laughs> uh, but I I completely agree with that. You've, I think you're either going to let Cage be an actor with um, mm-hmm. you know a, a standard film where we're not getting glimpses, just keep it rein him in, keep him on yeah. the script. Or if you're going to let him go whole hog, you've got to let him go whole hog. I think you Give can't... us that hog. <laughs> and I, ironically, this is something I've been saying since day one. Nicolas Cage, yeah. the golden hog of Hollywood, and yeah, I yeah, demand, yeah. and I, de- I demand more of it. If we're gonna, if we're gonna, if you're gonna give us the hog, give me every part of it. Yeah. Slap it in a bun, sauce it up. <laughs> unless, unless we want to gobble down that hog, we're keen for the hog. I wonder what kind of a hog he's got. Do you reckon he's got a good one? That being said, I watched City of Angels last week, and I don't know if this was a prop hog or his real hog, but there's a shower scene at the end, and there's a fucking mm. side glimpse of it, and that was looking between you and me. <laughs> yeah, mighty, mighty fine, mighty fine, pretty good one. I that wouldn't surprise because he's tall and he's kind of like gangly, and I feel like those those dudes always have monster hogs. <laughs> You just described me. Uh, well, with that, uh, with that said, <laughs> we'll, we'll wrap up the, the end exception of the- that disproves the rule. <laughs> Fuck you, man. So we'll wrap up this episode. Um, I want to give Patrick uh, Spicer, again, a massive thanks for agreeing to do this. has been a lot of fun. Uh, for the listeners, where can we find you on the socials? Uh, everywhere. My social is at Patrick Spicer's. Um, because Patrick Spicer was taken, so I pluralized it, and it causes genuine confusion where people think that my surname is Spicer's, <laughs> which is terrible, but I'm on that on everything. Instagram, Twitter. Um, t- I even got a TikTok. I'm a 30-year-old man with a TikTok. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if you have any Gen Zers who listen to this, but please get them to follow me on TikTok because <laughs> I don't understand it. <laughs> Uh, we're we're both getting to that age where technology is getting too advanced for our lives. It's time to old old yeller the both of us. Um, (laughs) So from that said, uh, from one hogger to another, to an audience of hoggers, can you tell I know how to wrap episodes up? Uh, Thank you again, Patrick Spicer, for joining me. Uh, Please go check out Patrick and all his socials. It has been a pleasure 
to be on this uh, on the late shift with you for this film late shift completed um, but until the next one keep on keep on caging it's all you have to do thank you and goodbye